This is Radio Health Journal. I'm Nancy Benson. This week, NFL team doctors. Are they looking out for players or owners? This is not a knock on these doctors. We're putting them in a very ethically problematic setup, and that's what we want to avoid. Coming up, the ethics of caring for football players' health when Radio Health Journal returns. It's estimated more than 5 million Americans with diabetes have health benefits through Medicare. If you're one of them, you've likely had important decisions to make when it comes to getting test strips. With only select mail-order suppliers now accepting Medicare, many seniors have turned to their local pharmacy, and with good results. Because Walgreens accepts Medicare assignment and full-coverage supplemental insurance, you'll pay the same as mail-order, as low as zero out-of-pocket cost. Talk to your Walgreens pharmacist to find out more. No team gets through an entire NFL season without injuries. So when the Super Bowl kicks off, neither lineup will be completely the way its coaches would like. But will there be players on the field who shouldn't be? Will some be playing even though they're hurt, risking additional pain and perhaps disability in pursuit of a win? It's not the player who decides that. It's the team's medical staff. The collective bargaining agreement in the NFL and various side letters require that each club retains a board-certified orthopedic surgeon and at least one physician board-certified in internal medicine, family medicine, and emergency medicine. And they have to have certificates of added qualification in sports medicine. In addition, clubs are required to retain consultants in the neurological, cardiovascular, nutritional, and neuropsychological fields. And typically, there's a head club doctor. That's Glenn Cohen, professor of law at Harvard University and co-author of a nearly 500-page Hastings Center and Harvard study of how the NFL maintains the health of its players. The report is highly critical of how health care for players is managed because of what it calls an inherent conflict of interest for team doctors. These club doctors, they're chosen by and they report to the club's executive. They're affiliated with a wide variety of private practice groups, hospitals, academic institutions, and other professional sports leagues. But the important thing to know is that they are selected by the clubs, they are paid by the clubs, they are fired and evaluated by the clubs. So the current structure basically forces club doctors to have obligations to two parties, the club and the player, and to make difficult judgments about when one party's interest must yield to another's. The conflict itself is pretty unavoidable, as long as the club doctor is expected to wear both hats. Now, some doctors may be able to better negotiate the conflict than others will, but in general, a system that's going to require heroic moral and professional judgment in the face of a systemic structural conflict of interest is one that's bound to fail. Under this structure, for example, doctors could feel enormous pressure to clear an injured player for an important game even if his injury could use another week or two of rest. None of what we say in the report or associated publications are a slight against these club doctors. Many of them are extremely good doctors, sometimes the best in their areas in the, where the team plays. And what we're really focused on is the system, the structure by which this care is provided. Because our view is that no matter the quality of the physician, if you're putting them in a bad structure, that's going to result in problems. Cohen says most people wouldn't want to be put in the same situation themselves. When you think about your own physician and the medical care you receive from your doctor, when you go to the doctor, you know that doctor's not being paid for by someone else, not reporting your health to someone else, not having a uh, reporting relationship or duties to someone else. You have faith in the independence of the medical information you're receiving. 
And again, I just ask people to reflect and say, how would they feel if tomorrow their employer were to say to them, guess what, guys? As of now, all your medical care will be provided by a doctor I choose from you who will report to me and who will answer and be fired and hired by me. The problem we feel is clear on its face. A number of medical fields recognize the inherent conflict of interest when physicians are beholden to two sides. For example, in organ transplants. Both law and ethics require two separate care teams in the case when a kidney or another organ is being donated. One to care for the patient doing the donation and pronounce them dead in the case of dying patients and one to conduct a transplant and care for the recipient. The single medical team served both roles, it would face the same structural problem of dual loyalty to the dying patient and to the patient in need of the transplant. So, for example, an individual doctor would swear that he or she is not influenced in declaring a donor's death by the desire to get his or her patient an organ. And even though it would be impossible to, in any particular case, to know whether that was true or not, we don't take the chance. We split it up. We bifurcate. And we want a similar bifurcation in the case of the health care being provided to NFL players. We want the people who are treating these players, giving them advice, to give them unbiased advice, advice the players can trust, and have a separate set of doctors be the ones who are evaluating them for the sake of the club and advising the club on whether they should be cut, whether they should be put back on the field, and the like. The NFL didn't return calls requesting an interview, and a spokesman for the National Football League Physician Society turned down our request. However, in a response to researchers, the NFL has denied that a conflict of interest exists. Cohen says many players seem to disagree. Let me just go into the report for a second and tell you some quotes from some of the players we interviewed. This is from a current player that we spoke to. I do not trust team doctors. I've had multiple occasions where I've had a team doctor tell me one thing, and then I go and have a second opinion, and I get a completely different answer. The club doctor has the same mentality as the club itself. More than anything, they want a player on the field. I feel like the team doctor only has the best interest of the team in mind and not necessarily the player. Here's another quote. They're doing and saying what's best to get you back on the field as soon as possible. That's another current player. Now, again, to be clear, many of the players we spoke to did not have these concerns. This was not every player we spoke to suggesting this was a problem. But we do know that this is a significantly corrosive aspect of the trust you have in your doctor. And indeed, the Associated Press did a survey of 100 current players in 2016. And when asked whether NFL teams, coaches, and team doctors have players' best interests in mind when it comes to injuries and player health, 47 players out of 100 said yes, 39 said no, and 14 players were either unsure or refused to respond. The NFL says the report also identifies no incidents where team doctors acted contrary to the health of players. But Cohen says examples of conflict exist. One recently reported one involved uh, Ben Utek, a tight end who retired from the NFL, and recently wrote a book that looks at contentious moments he encounters as he dealt with his head traumas. During the 2009 preseason, He sustained his fifth major concussion, one serious enough, he writes, for a Bengals team doctor to advise him to retire. Each time, he said, that he tried to return to the field, he would experience blackouts, headaches, and other symptoms associated with post-concussion syndrome. Though unfit to play, he wrote that the doctor declared him eligible to return, which allowed the Bengals to release him. He went to court and eventually he won a $1 million judgment and lost salary. Cohen says the way the league now handles concussions proves the report's point. The structure of the new system ensures that there's no pressure to get a player back on the field when he shouldn't be. As a solution to that problem, they decided to have an unaffiliated neurotrauma consultant who is not reporting to either team, is not a club doctor for either team, be the one to make the evaluation. 
What we want to do is import that same kind of independence to our sphere. And we see actually the kind of system we envision to have a continuity with this change that's been made for concussions. The report recommends that doctors who treat players be separated from team control so they have only the player's interest in mind. Clubs would still receive information about player health needed for their business decisions through a player health report completed by the player's medical staff in consultation with club evaluation doctors. So we'd create a new role called the club evaluation doctor. This person would liaise with the club, they'd work for the club, and they basically report to the club about the status of players. We'd have a second set of doctors that we call the player's medical staff, and they would be the ones responsible for treating the patient. Players would be treated only by the player's medical staff, which would have the player's interest as their sole consideration. Injuries in professional football are getting closer scrutiny today, largely as a result of the controversy over head injury. Cohen says the structure of physician involvement in concussion treatment is a step forward, but he says truly protecting the health of players will take a lot more. You can find out more about all our guests on our website, radiohealthjournal.net. Our production director is Sean Waldron. I'm Nancy Benson. Medical Notes this week. We've reported in the past on chemobrain, the mental fuzziness that comes with chemotherapy treatment for cancer. Now a study in the Journal of Clinical Oncology shows that chemobrain can be a substantial problem for breast cancer patients for six months or longer. The study compared cancer patients to a control group of healthy women and found that more than a third of those on chemotherapy suffered from a substantial decline in cognitive test scores six months after starting treatment. Moderate drinking may help ward off heart disease, but excessive drinking does not. A study in the American Journal of Cardiology shows that alcohol abuse triples the risk of cardiac arrhythmia, doubles the risk of atrial fibrillation and congestive heart failure, and increases the risk of heart attack as much as people with diabetes or high blood pressure. And finally, if you're rude to your doctor, it greatly increases the chances that they'll make mistakes, both for you and for patients the rest of the day. A study in the journal Pediatrics with simulated rude patients finds that doctors can't simply get over it. Researchers say rude patients could account for as much as 40% of medical errors. And that's Medical Notes this week. More in a moment. Thank you for listening to Radio Health Journal, a production of MediaTrax Communications. If you enjoyed this week's show, please leave a review on iTunes or share it with a friend. You can find more Radio Health Journal stories about health, science, and technology on iTunes, Stitcher, and at RadioHealthJournal.net.